Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show where we talk about short video games, or mostly video games, uh, games that respect your time. But this week we're not talking about video games. Instead, we are talking about board games. And uh, we've done this once before. Uh, you have been listening to The Short Game a long time. You might have listened to our uh, board game special, which was like, I don't remember, like episode nine or something? Pretty early. I wasn't around then. No, you weren't. Uh, yeah, it's very early. Yeah. Um, and, but it was a fun episode, uh, but it's been like two-ish years since we talked about yeah. board games on this show. So long. It's yeah. like a thousand PowerCast years. Blech. Podcast years. Sorry. <laughs> it's a good time Blech. to record. Blech. 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 Sorry. Nah, it's okay. Jane, do you want to take that again? or I don't. I don't, <laughs> I don't even want to take it the first time. Uh, I am joined this week by my three awesome co-hosts. Laura Nash, uh, I'm glad that you're on this one because you're probably my board gamiest friend. How are you doing, Laura? I play so many board games. I think I, o- I own too many of them. I wish I played more of the ones I own. I tend to go to other <laughs> people's houses and play their board games and mine sit on a shelf, sadly, gathering well, dust. he who dies with the most board games on his shelf wins, I think, right? That is how living works. And uh, Nate Heinegger, how are you doing, Nate? Uh, bury me with my board games. Yes, or, or under them in a tragic yeah. accident. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. Glad to uh, talk about one of my favorite things to do as well. And Shane, my bro, how are you doing, Shane? I'm doing amazing. I have actually spent the sort of middle of my day out at a bar playing board games, the very board games I'm excited to talk to you about today. So I'm having really excited. Uh, I'm really excited to sit down and talk about what I really liked about these games. Jane's got hot takes, man. <laughs> and uh, I am, I'm eager to hear what you guys have been playing, because as the, uh, as the lone exile to the West Coast, I have had more limited board gaming opportunities than I used to have. So um, this will be a little bit more um, uh, uh, by proxy for me, or a little bit more um, aspirational. But uh, hopefully uh, I'll get some good ideas for stuff I can play. And I've got a few things that I've played over the last little while uh, that I'm excited to talk about, too. I guess before we really dig into specific board games that we've been playing or that we've liked over the last little while, we should kind of just talk about like how we play board games or like Yeah, after all this is a is is a video game podcast. Right. And we're discussing board games for people who, you know, maybe are not at this point thinking, hey, I don't really play board games. So how do you guys find your board games? How did you get into it? What do you why do you do that when there's things like Rocket League instead. (laughs) Well, I really like games that you can play with people who don't normally play games. I have a lot of friends who have zero interest in video games, and I really like that a board game is something accessible, and taking them, you know, a step past Settlers of Catan is really fun, and they always are, like, really excited, especially if you bring it to a bar. (laughs) People just Mm. dig in and they're like, this is something we can do. Um, you know, after you're hot and tired and you don't necessarily want to chat anymore, it gives them something to do. And I find mine through two big sources. One is, um, there's a guy named Matthew Baldwin, who every year publishes a good gift game guide. And his primary rule is, um, maximum time should be around an hour, maybe an hour and a half if he really likes the game. And you should be able to explain the rules in 10 minutes. And that's how he chooses it because he says it's much easier to give a game for a gift that it's not going to overwhelm somebody who doesn't normally play games. So it doesn't matter how hard it is to play or how complicated, but rules should take under 10 minutes. That really makes sense. I think there's nothing quite as, um, I guess, it can feel like giving somebody like a, a burden to give them a really complicated game that, you know, if they take a look at the rules and decide this is this is too much for me, then no one's going to have fun with that. And they're going to, like, resent you and then you're off the Christmas card list. So, yeah. Reagan, did something happen at one of your board game events? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, um, you know, that is it's obviously this is important for, um, like, being a gateway drug into games and you said taking people past settlers i think one of the most satisfying things too is just taking people to even just settlers of Catan. like if someone has never played any 
uh, you know, advanced board game, Euro game, um, you know, whatever different word you want to call, call them. Uh, settlers can be kind of eye-opening that a, a board game can be more than just like, oh, I rolled a nine and you rolled an eight. I win. You know, um, they can be a lot deeper. And with all that being said, like, I love some of the really intense, like, three-hour board games. But there is a time and a space or a place for those types of games. And I don't know how many of those we're going to be talking about today. I think we're kind of going to bridge the gap um, and mostly talk about the more accessible games that we've all loved. I will say my family really likes games, but has, in my mind, terrible taste in games because (laughs) they choose the games that are really like classic titles like Risk that, or like that are themed for TV shows like Walking Dead Risk. Mm. And then they don't really have the best time playing it. Um, I know my sister plays quite a lot, but she needs a lot of games that people can wander in and out of. Mm -hmm. So I tend to give her party games. You know, I think it's just easier if you don't fight against the grain of the group. Like Mm -hmm. if you're all at a bar at a table and you're in, you know, that game of marrying Mr. Darcy was perfect because you could drink your way through it, role play, (laughs) but everyone was there and attentive and it wasn't very mentally challenging yeah you're not going to get those people to sit down to a game of like civilization or like no i'm not going to be like let's play puerto rico in this bar oh man (laughs) it's nice to be pragmatic about the kind of kind of groups that you're actually with yeah like if you want to play those sorts of games there are places to play that stuff uh when when i was playing the most games was at a period when i was living in new york and i was basically broke all the time um so i didn't have money to buy my own games And I didn't even really have money to buy video games. I was seriously broke. But I also had an unbelievable amount of time on my hands. And so I I started doing a board game meetup group that went that would met once a week in a basement uh, in, you know, Manhattan. I forget exactly where in town. Anyway, um, it was it it was a weird experience because you were playing games with people that were serious board game nerds, but who had nothing else in common, you know, uh, uh, middle aged a lady who teaches uh, Spanish classes in a high school and a guy who works for the sanitation department and some young hipsters and a really, really old guy who wore the same sweater every single time I saw him, even in the middle of the summer. Like, you know, weird people. But the the thing was that (laughs) I didn't care about any of that because once you sat down to a board game table with these folks, they were really focused on the board games and they were really interested and they were, you know, they were reasonably fun to chat with. Everyone was drinking a beer or, or not and enjoying these games together. And you never had... I never had to buy my own games and I was playing a different, I basically learned a new game every single night. You'd go down to this thing and learn a new game and maybe play a game that you'd already played once. And if you're just sort of getting into board games and you can get past that social hurdle of playing games with people that you don't know, which is admittedly weird and awkward, that's another great way to discover games because you can sit down with somebody who knows the game, is willing to teach it, will teach it to you and then play a game with you. And that's great because then you get you get the full experience. These are people who are used to teaching games because that's all you're doing if you're joining one of these groups. Every time you play a game, there's going to be somebody in that group who doesn't know the game. So people get really experienced at teaching the rules. Yeah. Um, I have never gone to a board game meetup like that, though I've definitely been interested. One of the reasons I'm have not, though, is I am fortunate enough to have a group of friends in St. Louis here that do love board games as well. We don't play as much as we used to, but there was – a time where we were playing, especially when I lived with like four dudes who love board games, we were playing different games like every single night, but the, it kind of checks off, you know, we were talking about like why we like board games in the first place. I'd say there's like two things and they're kind of related to this is one. I love the interesting mechanics that board games allow for that. You don't see in any sort of any other um, video game. Um, Sometimes there's some, obviously there's some crossover, but a really good board game is a truly unique experience. And two, I love beating my friends and things. And (laughs) that doesn't, like, I'm not athletic. um, And, uh, you know, there's very few, like, couch competitive games. Like, I don't get very sad. Like, I love online shooters. I've played a ton of Destiny. I've been playing Overwatch. But the satisfaction from, like, you know, killing a random online stranger and having a good KD or whatever pales in comparison to winning a, you know, two hour, three hour board game or even like a one hour board game. Uh, it's 
it's one of the most satisfying things. I'm very competitive, though. I like to think that I'm very calm, and if I lose, <laughs> I'm also happy for my friends who do well. I just want a good game, and like board games present. If you have a, a team or a, a group of competitive board game players who can all like really, really think and try to play the game as best as possible, it is one of the most satisfying and most fun things that I do. And I, I, I just trying out a new game. You know, the first time you play a game you've never played before, you have to like come up with a strategy and just like, I hope this allows me to win. And like a really good game will, even if you're playing with super experienced people, like a really good game should allow like a brand new player to win if they like play really well. Um, so I just love the unique experience and beating yeah. my friends. So. And Laura, I think your, your like idea there about making sure that you fit the game to the, the people is really smart. That's the first thing to think about. So if you are approaching board games as a hobby and you, you know, you want to think about like who you want to play with, whether you want to play specifically with your friends or with, with strangers and then kind of tailor what games you're picking based on that. And there are resources out there. Frankly, if you do a couple of quick Google searches for like best board games for three players that involve trains, you'll find like best board games for three players that involve trains. There's some really great websites out there where people do a lot of writing about this kind of thing. There's actually a lot of train-based games, really, if we want to look at it that way. I find today that one of the most useful resources is YouTube because it's actually a really nice way to see a board game and know, am I actually going to like this? Am I going to like the rules? Because you can find videos of people explaining the rules to any board game that you can come up with. Um, and if you find also someone who reviews games there, then you've got a, a really trusted source. And one of the games that I have today, I bought based on the recommendation of a YouTuber that I like, um, who goes by the kind of a goofy name, Actual Lull. <laughs> and he mm. is a board games reviewer who does, he's in the UK and he does uh, reviews of all different kinds of board games. He makes great videos where he sort of changes clothes to portray all the different players at the table. <laughs> I also watch a UK video series to get game reviews. I sit down. They change clothes quite a bit. Um, Lovely. Maybe it's tradition over there. Maybe. But uh, yeah, no, this, this, the game that I'm excited to talk about is a, not even really a board game. It's a dexterity game. And he did a whole series. He did a whole video comparing all these different Jenga alternatives, basically. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's, it's nice to find those kinds of things because you see the game, you see it handled, you see all the bits break broken out of the box and you get a decent explanation of the rules. Yeah. You know, it's also uh, been very handy for me and something like that. If I am hosting one of the more complicated games and I don't want to have to spend, you know, upwards of 20 to 30 minutes really explaining the rules, uh, there are these sites that will create just a rules video where they lay out all the pieces, real nice overlays, designs, and I will send that rules video to the people that I know that are playing, and I say, hey, you know, we're meeting next Tuesday. Please watch this video before we play, and assuming everyone does, it makes the setup and the start time of a game so much faster. So like, really Laura, smart. you mentioned the, uh, game of, the Game of Thrones board game. Oh, um, long game. Yeah, it is, and I, and I really really enjoy that game, and it's actually I think one of the best themed to actual playstyle games that's been made. Like it, you know, it does kind of play like you would expect a Game of Thrones esque thing to go, um, but it is a little bit heavy on the rules because uh, you really want everyone to be able to understand everything that they're able to do, uh, and I don't like having that position of power because like oh I kn I knew I could do that and you didn't remember you know so I try to get everybody on the same level and so. Sending those videos is super helpful. Highly recommend it. Even for little games, there's like 10-minute explanations of uh, great games out there. So in terms of breaking games down by who you're kind of targeting, you know, what kind of group you have, um, I thought it might that might be a good way for us to approach talking about the games that we like and, and recommend. Um, and maybe we kind of work from small groups up to big groups or biggest, you know, kind of work up that way. Um, maybe we should start with like games that work well for two people, two people or very small groups. Yeah, I've got a great game for that. Uh, so the game is called patchwork and patchwork is a game that is for me a unique game on my shelf because it's one of the shortest playing games that I have and it's one of the best games for two players. It's a, 
Uh, it's a game where each player is building a quilt. So you have a, a board that's basically a grid and there are all of these little scraps of cloth that are in a lot of ways like little Tetris dominoes, Tetraminoes. And you take turns back and forth taking these pieces and putting them onto your quilt and you're scored by how many buttons are on the pieces. So it's very cute. Um, uh, one of the things I think is mechanically really interesting about it is the way that turn order is handled. Because instead of um, each player having a set action or number of actions that they can take, you can basically, um, with within a couple of boundaries, you can t- take a bunch of, you could do a bunch of different things on your turn. You could do a lot or you could do a little. And it's just a matter of h- however much you you do, uh, your uh, your your fellow player, the one other player, because it's always a two-player game, um, is able to do equally uh, an, an equal number of uh, of things, basically. So it, it doesn't really have a turn order, so to speak. Um, it has something that's kind of unique. That's really so, cool. So yeah, it's a really neat game, um, and it's one of the very few games that I've ever played that are explicitly for two players only as a board game. I have also not played a lot of explicitly two-player games. Most of the games that I have on my shelf are designed for, uh, you know, any number between, say, two and six or something like that. One game that I break out a lot to play two-player, even though it's not limited to two players at all. Um, I forget what the maximum number on it is, but it's very simple, and it's just worked well for me for two players, um, is uh, Sushi Go, uh, which is a, basically it's a card game there's not really a board um but it's a set building game and uh the fun kind of mechanic behind it is that uh everyone is dealt a a set number of cards and uh each turn everyone picks a card that they want to keep basically and then passes their hand to the person to their left um and that continues until everyone you know until the hands are empty and everyone's out of cards uh, but where it gets really creative is with the the sort of set building. There's different types of cards that make up different types of sushi. And based on like when you get your cards, you might say, OK, if I can if I get uh, three of these type of sushi all together, then I get 10 points. But alone, they're worth nothing. Or maybe the, another type of sushi, um, it's little just two points per per piece or other types of sushi. Um, I, I forget all of the, de- all of the different options uh, off the top of my head, but long story short there, there's a lot of different ways to score and everyone's cards are out in the open. So as you're, uh, taking cards, you're, you're not just thinking about what will I get? What can I take? That'll give me points, but what can I take out of this hand that I'm about to hand to the person to my left to make sure that I'm not giving them what they want? Um, really fun little game and really simple to e- and easy and quick to teach. I've played a lot of Sushi Go. That is my go-to, like, family or friends. We've got 20 minutes. Um, let's play a quick game. And it is adorable. The it artwork really on all the sushi is so cute. It's this, They're all, like, um, you know, little faces and little it, – it's adorable. Look up some c- pictures of the sushi. It – it's great. I picked it up because it's it's often kind of referred to as like a simplified version of Seven Wonders. Seven Wonders is another really popular game that kind of has mm-hmm. a similar like um, take a card and pass everything to the person to your left kind of mechanic. Um, but rather than being themed around like building a civilization, uh, it's just about collecting delicious and cute sushi. I believe that's called the drafting mechanic. If you yeah. see a game referred to as a drafting game, yeah. Sushi Go might be the most basic version of that. Yeah, but I, I like that it is so basic. I kind of mm-hmm. bounced off of Seven Wonders. I had a copy but ended up selling it. Or no, I just gave it to a friend because I I just didn't find myself playing it almost ever because the explanation part of it took too long. Sushi Go does not have that problem. I actually have three games that are only for two players. Um, oh. They are, you cannot play them with more than two. And, um, I think they're fun because you, when you play them with somebody, I've, the first time you play them, you know, with a friend, they've usually never seen these before because they're pretty uncommon. Um, the first one's Lost Cities, which is gorgeous. It is an exploration game and it's based on Rummy. So, you know, you can, um, you're basically building a landscape of a hidden world. So you have numbers, you know, from, I think, at, handshake which is a one up to ten and you can put any card down above it but 
once you put like a four down, you can't play the two or the three. So you're basically kind of betting on your own hand to see, can you play everything in order? Um, and as you're doing it, you're creating these beautiful landscapes of like the ice world or, you know, and you, as you, you know, you're, you're trying to get them the prettiest expedition. Um, there's also a game that's also a little similar called Morels, where you are uh, collecting fungi of different sets <laughs> and then like you cook them and eat them and you want the most delicious feast. And I don't actually know anything about mushrooms, but there's a lot of silly mushroom names, including like Hin of the Woods or like Fairy Ring. And you're basically trying to forage for mushrooms and then you can like multiply your point value if you cook them in butter. <laughs> and like, this looks awesome. very cute. I like the it art. It is adorable. And when it came out, it was really, it's a small studio, uh, Two Lanterns Games. So when it first came out, it became a really hot game. It was temporarily super sold out. <laughs> not, just, not just sold out, super sold <laughs> That'd be a great name for a game, actually. Super sold out. <laughs> Yeah, it's 25 bucks on Amazon, so it uh, looks yeah, like it's readily it's, available now. It's That's now good. back to normal price. The last one is uh, Mr. Jack Pocket. And I've actually never played the full-size version of this game, but it, it is tiny. It is a tiny tile game where someone plays um, like the detective Sherlock's home character, and the other one is playing Jack the Ripper hiding as somebody in the suspect list. Hmm. And you and your dog, Toby... Have to figure out, you know, someone plays one, the other one plays the killer and is hiding and your job is to like ferret them out. So it's like portable clue for two people, except the killer's the other person. That's a neat That's idea. awesome. It's like a two minute explanation game and the games are 15 minutes. And I have played this game in so many airports because it fits in, it literally fits in a pocket. The whole thing can't be bigger than like a... Four by four square, nice. maybe five inches square tops. Yeah, not too much for your carry-on. That's great. I do have one uh, two-player game that I wanted to bring up real quick, only because I, I've never actually played it, but I just bring it up because we're gearing to, and it's kind of the opposite of the two-player games that we've been talking about. It's called Twilight Struggle. It is routinely in the top three on uh, Board Game Geek's like rating system, which is a website we didn't hit at the beginning of resources. Uh, BoardGameGeek.com is like the go-to like list of board games that have been made yeah it's the imdb and, of board games i actually don't go there for recommendations anymore because I, they're they're sort of um the, i feel like they have a slant towards uh incredibly complex or strategic games um if that's what you're looking for very often their ratings are like their ratings are yeah. great if that's what you're into and that is sometimes what i'm into but um yeah it's a good it's a great yeah. site if you just want lots and lots of detailed information about literally any game and uh, this game, Twilight Struggle, the box says it takes three hours. And when the box says three hours, you know, that actually means like four <laughs> or five hours. Um, yeah. it, it's two player only. The The instructions are like a book thick. Um, I, the only thing stopping us from playing has been just like comprehension and time invested. But we're getting ready to play it with a good friend of mine who... Uh, is a in, intense board game collector, so he has it. Um, so there are, you know, complex two player only games out I, there. I've That's seen really that game cool. and didn't realize it was two player only. That's I pretty had no interesting. idea. Yeah, it's about the civil or civil war. The it's about the Cold War, uh, and it's like a long term struggle between uh, United States and Soviet Union. That's really all that I know about it. But it's supposed to be intense, very rewarding to complete, but a very big investment. Yeah. Those are the kinds of games that I think worked really well at that board game meetup thing uh, I was talking about. Although I hadn't tried any two-player games there, that wasn't a that wasn't a really common thing to play. But those really big, complex strategy games, you know, you plan your whole night around something like that. You uh, you know, you take a break in the middle for dinner or something. Start at three p.m. You know, really really plan around it. Mm -hmm. um, with bigger groups. I uh, I kind of tend more towards those more complex games. Um, with little two player games, uh, I tend I tend to go for things that are quick to pick up and finish that that don't take a long time to play. But with bigger groups, I tend to be a little more flexible. Um, but looking at our list of stuff that we all threw on here, it's pretty diverse. Um, the one that I wanted to mention because it just got a new edition and is a game that's been really important to me over the years is Kill Doctor Lucky. 
Um, when I was first yes. getting into board games and was, you know, mostly broke, one of the few that I was able to afford was Kill Dr. Lucky because Kill Dr. Lucky is from a, a company called Cheapass Games, uh, which is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, they have some great games and some real duds, but their their great games are really great because they're really inexpensive. They cost like 7 to $10, um, and they don't include a lot of the stuff that they kind of assume that you'll probably already have on hand. So, um, you know, Kill Dr. Lucky... Uh, when it first came out, was literally just a board and some cards, and they kind of expected you to scrounge up some pieces that would be your pawns on the board. Um, other uh, other games from them uh, ask you to bring your own like Monopoly money, so they don't have to provide it in the game box. Bring your own dice. Uh, maybe well, that's just cruel like asking you to asking you to have a copy of Monopoly. It is kind of, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess the idea is like you can scrounge Wait, the money out of Monopoly. You don't You're have a copy of Monopoly. That. I don't. Ugh. That game. Mm. I do not like Monopoly. But, no, who um, does? But everyone, I have a copy of it. I've yeah. had it since I was like fourteen. I think the uh, I think the reality is like if you have a basement or attic, you probably have a copy of Monopoly somewhere. Good point. Um, so, Kill Doctor Lucky is probably their most famous game, or it's certainly the one that they've like one of their first. And uh, it's from James Ernest, who's uh, also important in other game design stuff other than just the cheap ass games. But anyway, Kill Dr. Lucky is kind of a reverse clue. Um, and so the idea is that you're all in a old manor house clue style board, lots of rooms. Um, but rather than trying to solve a murder, you're trying to commit one. There's one guy in the house, Dr. Lucky, who everyone in the house has a motive to kill him. And so, but you also don't know that everyone in the house wants to kill him. Everyone thinks in game logic that they're the only one who wants to kill him. So you need to get Dr. Lucky alone, get a weapon and try to kill him. Um, but, uh, everyone else also wants to be the person to kill him. So all the other players can, uh, can use cards to cause your murder attempt to fail. And so there'll be dozens and dozens of attempts on Dr. Lucky's life as he sort of skips merrily through his mansion, uh, mm -hmm. trying to, uh, everyone tries to get him alone and commit a murder in amusing ways. So your weapon cards are things like, uh, tight hat or bad cheese and, it's all it's all very kind of funny it's also fast paced and the rules are really 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 simple so it's it's great because you can pitch it easily to, to people you say you've played clue right this is the reverse where you're trying to commit the murder that's a great and everyone hook. laughs and yeah. goes great great and everyone's everyone's on board at that point but it's also not dumb like there's a little bit of strategy here um and it's really fun to play i've played it dozens and dozens of times over the years and I've always had fun with it and different groups give you kind of different dynamics um brand it used it had gotten kind of hard to find um because it was no longer in print and it's gone through a few editions but there was a kickstarter recently and now thanks to that kickstarter it is back on store shelves and so you can get a nice deluxe version of Kill Dr. Lucky for not that much money. They've revised the rules to get rid of some longstanding issues that I had with the, with the game. They've now got a reverse to the board that's got a, a sort of different variant of the house. So you can kind of get a new style. The cards are better. Everything about the new version is great. A plus on it and it's it's available. So and that's that's a really big plus. So I definitely recommend the new edition of Kill Dr. Lucky. I played that game with you. And mm -hmm. I love the concept of the cheap-ass games, um, and I love playing this game. I'm going to check out this new edition. That sounds great. It's quite beautiful. They Kickstarter, definitely, you can see every dollar they spent on the game, including a reversible board, so you can play with smaller groups of people or larger. Yeah, that's a really clever thing about it. The board is built to fold, so you can kind of fold it out into different sizes of the manor and kind of close off wings that aren't used. That was always one of my problems with it, was that if you had, say, three people playing the game, uh, the manor was really big, and it would take a long time to get from side to side, and so a, a, a game with only three people would take a lot longer than a game with, like, six so, um, yeah, this is a really, that's a huge improvement. Great. I, I'm, I'm excited to see that because I, I've only ever played with that cheap ass copy that we had mm -hmm. back in the day. Uh, that <laughs> you has know, when you, no when art. you don't say games after the word cheap ass, it, it really, uh, alters the, TM. yeah, yeah. The cheap ass games version, not just the cheap ass well, they version. Embraced I mean, it. that was the, I mean, it's, cheap -ass it's games really the was all thing. about, yeah. um, doing their games in the form of just something that they could fold up in a single piece of cardboard and mail out for a dollar. You know, yeah. they were, I, I, I love it about that. 
Yeah, and I own three of the deluxe versions of games that I remember playing um, much earlier. I own uh, Kill Dr. Lucky, Unexploded Cow, and um, uh, Deadwood Studios. Oh, so, Deadwood had a had a more deluxe version? They did. It's beautiful. That's nice. That's a great game. I, I just remember in that one, um, you, you would get cast in different roles, and one of them was Falls Off Roof. <laughs> yep, that was a good game. Um, well, while we're on the t- subject of uh, of uh, cheap ass games just before we move off it. The other game that I had on my list to talk about for sort of larger groups, uh, is another brand new or new ish, uh, cheap ass games release, uh, called fish cook. They are still doing this. Uh, cheap ass games actually kind of stopped publishing games for a while, but came back and they're back to doing pretty much the same thing, making inexpensive games that are cheap by virtue of not including all the crap that you, you know, like not, not doing a custom set of, uh, pieces and custom set of money and things like that that are basically interchangeable for every game. Uh, Fish Cook is like 15 bucks, and you have to bring your own dice. You need at, at least 12 D6, and you also need some way of keeping track of money, like Monopoly money. But it's a game that's uh, it's really, really nice, a little strategic game where you're all playing uh, cooks who manage a restaurant. Uh, and each each day has two phases. You go to the, the shops and you try to buy ingredients. And as you buy ingredients, they get more expensive. And so you're trying to collect ingredients before your uh, your rivals get them. And then you go back to your restaurant for the evening part of the game where you cook various uh, recipes. It's a really neat little game. Uh, the cooking theme is really cute. And um, I, it, it's a really, really good uh like it's kind of a Euro game in it's kind of style. Um, it's, it's got a good strategy element to it, um, but it's also very cute and it's relatively simple to teach a little more complex than Dr. Lucky, but, um, I also definitely recommend that. And if you're looking for something really inexpensive, uh, fish cook is 15 bucks, which is a great deal for that game. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. If you're also looking for an inexpensive game, um, Hanabi is a terrific and easy to learn, very hard co-op game. It is uh, based on like it's fireworks themed, but the the hook is that you get a deck of cards, you get a hand of five cards, and you hold them backwards so that you can't see your cards and everyone else can. And you're basically trying to play rummy, putting the cards down in the correct order and the right column in the right order without, um, you're trying to make suits, you know, all the blue ones from one to 10, all the, you know, and through the whole deck of cards for the different colors, but you don't know what you're holding. So you can either put a card down or get a hint about the color or the number. So you can say you have five red cards in your hand, or you can say you have two twos in your hand and, or you can say like, this is a four. And from that, you have to figure out how to pull the cards down. It is so annoying when someone has someone they're dating who is not smart (laughs) <laughs> and they come into Hanabi and they don't pay attention and they put down the wrong cards and kill every because you you only get a couple wrong cards before you all blow up and you have to really trust everybody to pay attention because like this is not a vicious game this is a co-op game but someone who should have known better like should have used <laughs> their deductive reasoning skills and paid attention is the most infuriating I've been in the last year at a board game oh, boy. was that like stupid stupid black haired girl who Come just on. was like on her phone. <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> I, Jeff, I didn't even know her name because I was like, man, this, this girl that that dude brought is like, Nope, don't bring the, her back um, to board game night guys. Oh man. She's banned. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. I, um, uh, we, if it's two to four players, I think you can now do Five in some hands, but yes, huh. it, it's it's a bigger group. But I think the issue is, it becomes very hard to hold in your head what you have. You, you don't get enough information if there's more players. Ah, uh, yeah. So I have a game. Um, it's a little bit longer. Uh, total, it would probably take. Uh, it can take about an hour and a half to two hours. Um, but it's very involved, and it kind of builds a training round into it. So while there's a lot of rules, you can kind of just like breeze over them and say after we play this first round you'll really understand what's happening and then we'll go from there um it's a really awesome game called galaxy trucker it's a really unique concept i've never played a game like it before uh basically 
it's two to four players, and you're all building spaceships uh, using a tile system, sort of like uh, if you've played Carcassonne, how there's like a road can only be touching against a road or a grass piece can only uh, be touching a grass piece. This, you have a big board that has a grid on it in the outline of a spaceship. And in the middle uh, is about a hundred different tiles that all represent different pieces of a spaceship. And there's actually a timer and everyone is grabbing and trying to build the best ship possible. So we're all trying to grab the pieces. There are limited resources. Some are better than others. And you're trying to build the best ship. There's like little modules on it. There's a single connector or a double connector or universal. Single can only go on single, double, double, etc. Uh, you build these awesome ships. It's a ton of fun to build the ships. Then they go through a series of random encounters from a deck of cards. So it'll be like, uh, here comes a, a pirate ship. Whoever's at the front, if they don't have enough guns to blow up that ship, then their ship gets shot by lasers and literally pieces of your ship get shot off. Mm. Like you have to remove tiles from your board as the pieces of your ship get shot off. And if you had a, a ship where like you only had one connector coming off the left side and everything is built off of that. And if that one piece gets blown off, everything gets detached and your whole ship can be destroyed entirely by lasers, meteorites, uh, slavers, all sorts of different things. And it starts with a really small ship where you may be a crew. Like if you successfully make the whole journey, you may get eight to 10 points. Um, and the final ship is huge and you may get 40 to 50 points for like successfully making it. So that first round even if you get entirely destroyed in the first round, you can still win the game. So the first round kind of acts as this like really awesome training round. And it's so much fun. It's really silly because you build these stupid looking ships because you're on a time crunch. You're like, oh, shit, sure. I'll connect this, this, this. I'm done. <laughs> and then you just hold on for dear life as your ship gets pelted by a number of different things and see who survives till the end. It's a ton of fun, especially if you, it, it kind of, has some like video gamey feel to it, you know, where you're just kind of like seeing what happens, letting it letting it run, you know, and seeing what happens. Um, I can't recommend it enough. It looks really fun. I've still got never gotten a chance to play it. Um, it's not a cheap board game. Actually, none of these are cheap, frankly. A lot of like it's not like fifteen bucks like Fish Cook. But I was just looking if if you're not interested in like on a uh, on a whim trying a fifty dollar board game that you've never played before. Uh, apparently the the uh, iPhone and iPad versions of this game are really, really good. Um, and that's like yeah. five bucks on the App Store. I think there's also I've never played those Windows either, or something. I haven't played those either, but the, the Pocket uh, iPhone version and the iPad version, as well as the Windows version, um, have come pretty highly recommended uh, from folks that I've talked to about, about this game. Like when we, when we did our episode on, uh, on turn-based... Uh, asynchronous multiplayer games, mostly on iOS. This was one of the ones that people really mentioned a lot. So uh, if I'm, I'm probably going to give this a try on my phone before I give the, uh, you know, hit the buy button on Amazon on the, on the big box. Yeah, it's, it is a more expensive board game. It is, there's a ton of pieces. It's really well made. So you're, you know, you're paying for like the material. Yeah, um, yeah I, I agree. I mean, it, there is a, uh, a barrier to entry with a lot of board games. The, cost plus time plus friends yeah um you know uh which is does make it a hobby that can be uh difficult it's board games are fun to collect but um you know you do have to have a restraint on yourself because it's easy to just like click buy and then you look at a shelf full of games that you've maybe only ever played once or never played at all i always try to um make sure i've played everything on my shelf uh to to a point where i feel comfortable with them before i buy another game yeah, well, that's another reason to try those uh, those meetups if they're something that's uh, mm -hmm. that you can find because they also uh, you can end up swapping games with other folks. You know, if you've got a game that you've played a couple times but you're kind of tired of, and maybe they have a game that you haven't played before, you might swap games. And um, a lot of board games are in that uh, price range where they're about the same as like a a big uh, PC or console game, like fifty sixty bucks. Um, and so, you know, since they all tend to be kind of in that same price range, it's pretty easy to just say, hey, you want to swap this for that? And a lot of folks will just say, yeah, let's do that. So, um, yeah, definitely recommend uh, uh, finding ways to expand your gaming, uh, your board gaming by 
swapping games or playing other people's games rather than just buying games yourself. Um, any well, other games? On the, the, oh, go ahead. Yeah. While we're on the mayhem kick, uh, King of Tokyo is a game where you are playing giant monsters taking over Tokyo. And it's kind of based on, you know, Yahtzee's rules. You roll a bunch of dice and take over, but you actually have stand-up cardboard monsters, um, which are great. And you can either be in Tokyo or the outskirts. And if you are currently rampaging Tokyo, all the other monsters can attack you to take over Tokyo. So you're basically competing for a tiny piece of space. But you can also layer on, like, you know, flame breath or, like, you know, tentacle arms. You can power up your creature. And it's all rolling die. Really easy. Um, and it is very fun to wreak havoc. I mean, there's, like, Gigasaur and Cyber Bunny. <laughs> like, it's designed by the guy who did Magic the Gathering, and I don't know what he was doing when he decided to do a Japanese um, monster-themed game, but it's I didn't realize that was fun. him. Um, Richard, I forget his last Richard name. Garfield. Garfield. Yeah. yeah, he also did um, uh, Robot Rally, or Robo Rally, which I also really enjoy. Great game. Um, That's if awesome. If you like the sort of programming. We talked about it a little bit when we were doing our episode on uh, Human Resource Machine, because uh, it reminded me a bit of it. It's a, it's a programming-oriented game where you give your robot commands, and it executes those commands, and amusing things ensue. I guess that's sort of the short version. Yeah, and this is pretty great because it's 20 minutes. I really liked King of Tokyo when I got a chance to play it a while back. And Yeah, being short is wonderful, um, but it's also just a fun... It's fun based on the theming of it because it's so cool how you can customize the little monsters. The art is wonderful, and you really get the feel that these giant monsters are duking it out because it's kind of right there in the name. It's the King of the Hill kind of game where you're either number one and fighting off everybody, or you're trying to get that get that number top one spot. spot. It's yeah. King of the Mountain with giant monsters, and it's super fun. And there is a variant that's a little more strategic called King of New York. Um, I knew who I was. I had the choice of buying one or the other. I chose King of Tokyo just because I knew my group was probably was more likely to pick up a game that was simpler. But if you're looking for something a little richer, they, there is a more strategic bent of it called King of New York. Speaking of games where you are leveling up your creature, um, I got a chance to play a game that I've wanted to play for a long time. Uh, I bought it. I've been uh, sit watching it sit on my shelf, Nate. Uh, it's Evolution. I played Evolution through for the first time today, and I had an incredible blast. This game is so cool. Um, it's You start off with one species, and each species, you're tracking how big their body size is and what their population is. And then you just start layering on, you can have more than one species, and you can have different traits for your species, and that's where things get really cool, because... The artwork for this game is gorgeous. It's the first thing that drew me in. It looks like Lisa Frank meets Origin of the Species. Um, like all yeah, the- dial back the Lisa Frank color scheme. If you're thinking it's uh, it's neon and stuff like that, it's not. But it is uh, very it colorful. It kind of is though. <laughs> oh <laughs> like, man, I- I'm looking at the front the front of it, and look at this look at this lizard. Those are some gorgeous colors on that lizard, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everything in this book is gorgeously colored. Um, but the, the thing that drew me to this game as well, and the number one thing I think I like in a game, a game should be fun to play with as much as it is fun to play. And what I mean by that is that it, the tactile experience of the game can really matter. And so I'm just going to tell you a little bit about this game. Um, there's a board that looks like a watering hole that you get to put the food on. Every player has these beautifully like screen printed custom bags that they put the food points in. You could literally just keep them in a pile in front of you. Having the bag makes it, I guess, a little easier to hide, but they didn't have to go this far with it. And one of the things that I love the most is, let me see if I can find him in here. Where'd you go? Here you are, the Brontosaurus. (laughs) 
Oh, look at that. It's awesome. It's, it marks it's who's, the first player marker. Yeah, it marks whose turn it is. A big wooden brontosaurus. You know what's crazy about this game, too, is uh, this has a ton of awesome pieces. ton of, like, really everything feels great in your hand, like Shane's saying. And you can get it for $30. This game is on sale all the time online. I, I got my copy for $30 on Amazon. Yeah. And it supports from two players up to six. Mm-hmm. Hey, here's another great bit from the game is they have this player aid booklet that includes an explanation of what all the different uh, what all the different character um, traits. adaptations, yeah, the traits are, uh, and explains all the different phases of play. makes it makes the game really accessible. That you that it comes with a huge stack of these, so you can put one in every single player's hands. Yeah, and it can play up to six players, which is awesome. Um, and it has a mechanic for if there's more than. For, it's turn-based normally, but if there's more than four, it actually allows you to kind of remove the turn element of it and kind of everyone play at the same time, huh. uh, which speeds the game up for a lot of players. And, I mean, you can do that anyway, but it, it um, for a smaller amount, you might as well just do it in turns. Um, it is, it's really fun. Like, the, the evolution idea of it is really interesting because you might have a creature that you are building as a, like a, herbivore burrowing um, pack animal and then two turns later you replace burrowing with carnivore and now you're directly attacking your uh the other players creatures and eating their population down and often creating uh turning other people's species extinct you can actually lose your species, which is really sad because if you're like me, you give them funny names and <laughs> then you get very attached to them. And then when somebody takes their giant turtle, you know, tree living carnivore and eats your horned flying, uh, that actually wouldn't work, but, you know, horned uh, burrowing monster, uh, it's pretty sad. Really fun. Yeah, and the more you play with people, too, there's a really good metagame in it where you're like, well, I know he likes to, you know, go carnivore early, so I'm going to build a defensive animal first. And Yeah, there is sort of a prisoner's dilemma type element to it when you are deciding whether or not to um, be a, a meat eater because um, if if everybody just goes all in with, with eating plant food, um, you can support an enormous population. But the minute somebody starts going carnivore, um, things start to kind of tur- things start to kind of turn. For a very different bigger group game, uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill is a co-op game for a while. You all are exploring a haunted house, and you're all running through the house, buffing up your little characters, you know, making them a little more psychologically stable or stronger, um, getting new pieces, and then at some point you trigger the haunt and you look in this giant book and whoever triggers it takes a book, goes in another room, reads their page and you read yours. And now it's everybody against that player. They might be insane and trying to burn the house down. They might be a werewolf. They might've turned (laughs) invisible and are shooting you. The book is huge. There's a whole ton of, you know, ways that you can do the, the, um, the game petition. And they're actually coming out with their first ever expansion the game's Ooh. like uh, pretty old, and they're coming out with the expansion in October, which um, the game currently has basement, main floor, and second floor, and they're adding a roof and a whole bunch of new in-game solutions written by like a whole bunch of webcomic people. Um, Cards Against Humanity guys have done it. So like, I think there's going to be another like 40 endgames. So even if you've played that game to death, it. It's it still comes with 50 be to begin with. So It comes with 50. Oh, wow. So you have to play uh, the game 50 times the first time, and now there's another 50. I've played wow. that game before. There is no other game that I've played that has uh, an experience like that because you spend like upwards of an hour to an hour and a half working together, being a team, exploring a haunted house. And Helping each other out. Help it, yeah, and you don't I know. really consider it to be a hybrid role-playing game in some ways. It's great. Yeah. I mean, it you does get have things- that feel. Yeah, the old and crazy woman said you should drink this potion that glows with amber light. Maybe that's how she got so old and crazy. (laughs) Like, great text. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that game is amazing. It's been a long time since I've played it, but I never played anywhere near all 50 of the the awesome scenarios that it gives you. It's really cool. Played about five. Yeah. Um, 
Well, that was a that's a good sort of big group game, but we also kind of added to our list of things we wanted to talk about today party games. You know, there, if you sometimes you have a group of people that just simply will not or are not interested in playing a game based on strategy or really rules-heavy experience, even something as kind of freeform as some of the things we talked about already. Um sometimes you just want something that is like a fun way to enable fun conversations in your group or, you know, like party games. And I know I am really, really tired to death of apples to apples and of uh, cards against humanity. So um, to be perfectly honest, like if I never see another cards against humanity card in my life, I will be a happy man. Um, So I wanted but I don't have really a list of other things of this type to play. And I know, Laura, you had a few. You introduced me to Slash recently. Um, Yes. Maybe you can kind of it seems like you have a you have a pretty good uh, list of these ready to go. I play a lot of these. So uh, Slash is for your nerdy friends or your pop culture friends. So Um, cute. (laughs) You can mix in a few uh, people who are not as into it, but they just have to be really okay with guessing. Um, You play uh, you, you similarly like Cards Against Humanity, draw a deck of cards, but you are matching up people. So do you think that Kesha should be with Xena Warrior Princess or should she be with Archer? And then you have to defend your pairing. Yeah. So instead slash, of like keep, slash in the fan fiction, it is slash style. Yeah. Slash fic the great. game. And um, oh. the people who don't know any of the characters usually combat by getting incredibly filthy <laughs> because they don't have pop culture references to draw on. They only have physical descriptions on the cards, and people get weird in this game. And it's <laughs> a great way for people who you've never. You know, I took this to Memorial Day barbecue last year and um, someone's dentist boyfriend gave the filthiest description of what happened when the 50 foot woman met a Tetris uh, line block. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. Uh, Have you you played Super Fight? I have not played Super Fight. It's in the same vein of like taking the concept of how Cards Against Manny works or how this game works, but instead of like pairings of famous people or whatever, it's uh, really like over the top, um, like uh, battles, like one like uh, versus things, and every uh, two people pick two cards to go together, and everyone decides who would win in that fight. So it would be like a shark with a giant hammer versus. You know, um, a robot with uh, it's all silly stuff like wielding a tornado or whatever. And then everyone else in the party has to decide who would win in that fight. And whoever gets whoever like wins gets the point. And it'll be pop culture stuff. And there's like Michael Jackson with and you, you know, you pick two cards. So it's really, really funny. And you get in this most ridiculous arguments where it's like, well, a shark with a laser gun would for sure be able to survive on land long enough to be able to fire its laser gun. You know, stupid arguments like that. Super satisfying. Yeah, and I've played a lot of games that are also like, who is the mole? Who's the bad person? Or like people are backstabby. But I think the other, like my current go-to party game in the right crowd, it's perfect, it's called Concept. There's just a giant board with all of these icons on it. And, and then you get a word and you, without saying anything, can only place tokens on like five or six icons together. And you have to try to piece together very difficult concepts. Like we got barcode from somebody who kept pointing at like numbers and grids and then like red. And then she kept clicking electronics and we couldn't get it. Like she just kept, <laughs> she kept just banging the thing on the icons and we were that like helps. it's not helping <laughs> okay. so it's, it's like really when good. someone's doing charades and they just keep like flapping their arms and you're like i i've yeah. guessed literally everything i can guess for what you're doing right now Switch for it barcode up. <laughs> there were 20 people in the room we were all trying to guess this girl and then by the end of the game like 10 people defected to try to help explain barcode and we got it and the whole room just erupted because <laughs> we were so excited um it is if you didn't have anything, you couldn't draw on Pictionary. If you could only point at existing icons, it's huh. it's like it's very similar to doing emoji something and trying to communicate <laughs> a term with only emojis. But they're a little bit more. You know, you get things like an up arrow or a down arrow. Um, for real big geeks, it's like the alethiometer and Golden Compass. <laughs> 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 
where you're like, well, she put down family third. So it's like a tertiary description of what we're going for. Movie titles for some reason are very easy in that game though. Hmm, that's really interesting. Like I, I would love to play that because it really seems like you'd have to they would they would have had to have done a lot of thinking about what sorts of um concepts to include and what sorts of icons to include and ah, that sounds really really clever. Very cool. And it's a good like you come off something like um like slash and then you guys want kind of a chiller game where you're all thinking about something. Concept is a beautiful beautiful game for that i'm gonna i've got to get that because my wife would be so into it she she at work she has to make communication boards for people who are who have like speech impairments so i think concept might be an interesting thing for her to to see my favorite party game now and i've played this many times with various uh ages uh groups types of people who've played games whatever and it's a hundred percent been a huge hit it's a game called cash and guns uh the concept behind it is that every player uh is a is a a robber a thief we worked together as a as a heist team and at the moment of collecting the money we all turned on each other and the game comes with these really nice foam handguns (laughs) they actually have the orange tips on the end but they like they're real big orange handguns and you count someone who's uh, the godfather, which is just part of the game. But they count down from three, two, one, and everyone points a gun at another person in the in the game. And prior to that, you have chosen you have these cards that represent a, a bullet or a click, like a like a, a a blank. And you've decided before whether you're shooting a real bullet or you're not shooting a bullet. Uh, and there's various reasons for why you may or may not, but bullets are limited resources. Click is not. Everyone points a gun at each other. Then you do three, two, one, and those who want to bow out of the game set down their gun. They knock over their little uh, their little player guy, and they say, "Okay, I'm done." Anyone who is pointing their gun at them gets to put their gun down. They're still in it. Anyone who still has a gun though pointed at them, they now go in a circle, resolving whether they did an actual bullet or they did a click. If they did a bullet, the person gets shot, and they're out too. And all the people that are still standing at the end, having either not been shot or um, not bowed out from people pointing the guns at, get to round robin select the loot that's there. And it goes for eight rounds. And whoever's collected the most money by the end of the game wins. Hmm. It's so fun. It like Doing the three, two, one, and then everyone like draw, pointing a gun at each other. It's like Mexican standoff the board game, basically. It's and it plays up to eight, and it comes with eight of these little guns and these like money tokens and these big money tiles and little Godfather thing and the the amount of like silliness that ensues and you know stupid like movie quotes and and everyone's trying to pretend to be a tough guy because they're all pointing guns at each other. And what's great too is the game, even with eight people, takes maybe with a full game maybe forty minutes. Um, and with a smaller group, you can get it done even faster than that because it takes about three minutes to explain. You put a foam gun in someone's hand, and they're, like, immediately into it. Oh, yeah. There's these little little characters that you get to be. They're all, like, you know, caricatures of, like, movie robbers. So you've got, like, the gangs, like the uh, like 1920s gangster. You've got, like, I don't know, like, watch Kill Bill, and, like, everything from Kill Bill is in there. Like, every... Every crime movie you can think of is represented in it, and it's it's fantastic. That uh, that sounds like and, a blast. And it's it's pretty cheap too. I think it's like thirty bucks, and you get you know that great tactile feel. And I I've played it with my family. I've played it with work people. It, it's awesome. That's the nice thing about party games is they are so accessible. You can bring them to almost any sort of gathering where you're wanting to kind of break the ice. And um, people were gener like there's certain types of games where you don't have to feel like you're you know there's not like a particular type of person that's into those kinds of games like something like that I, I feel like you could probably get almost anyone to play yeah i do i really think so unless you were uh, and not that there's anything wrong with this if you were uh really against like guns and pretending to point a gun at someone that's the only reason i could see someone having a problem with this game otherwise it's a ton of fun my mother would never have bought it for me but 
I would play it. <laughs> totally. I used to play a game called Spree where you basically ran around a mall stealing stuff. Oh, yeah. I played Spree. That's another uh, cheap-ass game. Cheap-ass game. So yeah. I feel like Cash and Guns is the evolution of that game. <laughs> Spree was a blast. Well, um, there are probably a thousand more games that we could talk I about. I do have one last game I want to talk about, Reagan. Okay. Before you start wrapping us up. All right. And that's Via Paletti. Oh. So... <clears throat> The, the final party game that I want to talk about is a game that is very different. It's really a whole different genre of game from the kind of games that we're talking about up to now. It is a dexterity game. And so for most people, and for me, really up until recently, I hadn't really thought about dexterity games in the same way as board games. I basically thought about Jenga, and that's about it. And Via Paletti is a game that has so much more to it. It's very similar to Jenga in that it's a game where everyone is collaboratively, you know, going to, you know, building a tower and the loser uh, is going to be the guy that knocks it down. But it's a game that has a lot more strategy than that. Um, There's great bits. So I'll just show you what I'm talking about here. Rather than just some boring... Yes, show, show the wood, podcast audience, Shane. <laughs> I'm going to show the podcast audience. Uh, but the, uh, the you can just hear the sound of these bits of wood jingling and jangling, right? Here, podcast audience. Uh, but it's got, it's got different co- colors and different kinds of pillars. And each player has a color of pillar. And what you're trying to do is build this tower up as high as you can... Um, because whenever a new layer is added to the tower, scoring starts over. And you get scored based on how many pillars of your color are on the highest layer of the tower, right? And so you have to build up and up, laying down ever smaller and smaller floors. And there's five possible floors of various different crazy colors and sizes. And... One of the most fun things they've done is they've included this tiny hook. It's a little metal hook with a little wooden (laughs) handle. And you think this is something silly, but you really need this thing to fish out (laughs) the pillars that you're trying to get from, you know, underneath in the middle of this tower so that you could place them on top. And um, the strategy element that's added by having these different, there's three different kinds of pillar worth three, two, and one points based on their size. And trying to get your pillars up into the top stack and making sure that your high-value pillars, the big fat ones, are um, not trapped in a lower stack as a support structure Hmm. um, creates this sort of strategic element that I have never seen in a game like this before. And so you still have all the fun of building with blocks, and the fun of that inevitable moment when the tower comes crashing down. But on top of that, you've got some kind of really strategic thinking that you have to put into making sure that, you know, who's going to place the, the block and who's going to place the, uh, the new floor and what, what tiles are they going to what, what, uh, what pillars are they going to cover with the new floor? And is that going to make it hard for me to get my posts up to the next level? So it's really, really neat. And I cannot recommend it enough. Wow. Like if you look at the pictures of this on Board Game Geek or on Amazon, like it's just it looks like one of those um, uh, it's full of different colors and everything kind of reminds me of those mobiles that you'd see in art museums. And I can't remember the name of the guy Hero? who makes those. Maybe. Yeah, I think. Anyway, it, it's very abstract, but very like oh, it's, it's wild looking. I, I love it. it. I can't wait to play this. It looks like a blast. Oh, it's, it's super fun. I lost the, the game that I played of it today, but um, I, was, I was going to win if I had managed to pull one more of my pillars out successfully, and I didn't. And I, it's that mo- kind of moment of drama that I think really makes for a, a fun dexterity game. And this game's got it, it, it every single time. That's awesome. Well, um, like I said, there's a, there's a thousand games we could talk about uh, on this show. And this is really like this is not intended to be a definitive cataloging of all of the best games we have ever played or anything like that. Um, just sort of what we've been playing lately and what we're into. But all of those are super fun. 
Um, if you, listener, have a game that you think we ought to check out, uh, definitely let us know. We have a form on our website. You can go to www.theshortgame.net and click on contact and you can send us an email. You can write us a thing on our website. You can tweet at us at underscore short game and recommend board games to us because we actually really like getting solid game recommendations. And tweet us pictures of you playing games. I'm still delighted by the pe- folks playing Mary Mr. Darcy. Oh yeah, that was great. So yeah, if you if you play a game that we talked about or the one that you think we ought to talk about or check out, uh, tweet us a photo. We really enjoy that. Uh, and that's at underscore short game. Uh, I am also on Twitter. Uh, I'm Reagan Kelly. You can find me on Twitter at Reagan K, R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Uh, Laura, where can people find you? Find me at Laura J. Nash. And Nate, where can people find you? You can find me at Nate STL. And Shane, where can, pe- where can people find you? I'm at 8 Shane. And uh, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.